Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. How are you? Um, good. It's always good. You look good. You know, good as to see always. You. Good to see you. How's your family? Everyone's good. How about you? Uh, yeah, good. Thank God. We just had a birthday party for two grandchildren here. Uh, my my grandson Joseph, who was three the other day. And my granddaughter, Mara, who was one. So we, my daughter found a little farm in New Jersey and um, had his friends, everybody come over there with the animals, the farm animals and games. And it was nice. It was, it was really nice. I just wish our other grandson, who's in Las Vegas, could have been with us, little Teddy. But it was, you know, that's the great part about being able to uh, have the FaceTime and all that. You can you can have them together even if they're not physically there. But it was great. It was it was very nice. They grow up too fast, Ken. Yep. Oh, I see it with my own kids. But it's funny that you brought up uh, the farm because we've got a new sponsor for today's episode, and it's Belcampo Meat Company. I know they sent you some of their organic pasture-raised beef, chicken, and pork recently. What did you think? The best. Tremendous. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. If they had beef like this when uh, when Sylvester Stallone, when Rocky Balboa was getting ready for that fight against Apollo Creed, he wouldn't have been punching the beef. He would have been eating it. I tell you right now, <laughs> he would he wouldn't have busted no ribs and wasted any time, you know, using his punches to do that. He would have been grabbing that freaking meat, putting it in an oven, <laughs> and eating it. To, and, and he would have beat Apollo in the first one if he had that. It's it, first of all, it's delicious. Um, my family enjoys it. Everybody is living here with me. My two grandchildren, my wife. My son-in-law, uh, uh, my daughter, we're all living here. We're eating that. And every one of them says it's the best meat they've ever tasted. And then to me, it's it's like a bonus that it's actually the healthiest meat out there. You know, so it's the best tasting. It's healthy. Uh, you couldn't, you know, it couldn't be better. Everything is great. The steaks, the pork chops, the chicken, the sausage. It's it's funny. We had breakfast the other day, and we had some. We had their sauces um, on the table, and then there was some extra that was left over uh, that they hadn't cooked yet from you know for commercial sausage. And everybody wound up saying, "No, I want to have the other." And I I saw the commercial sauces. Poor guys, they were sitting there all alone. You know, <laughs> no, no, nobody was eating them. It was it was like sad. You know, and, uh, <laughs> no, nobody wanted them. So, no, it's great. It's, it's, it's a great company. They have the highest quality meat products, all organic, all free-range, pasture-raised on a regenerative farm in Northern California. And with Thanksgiving coming up, Teddy Belcampo has a huge offer right now on their whole heritage and whole white turkeys that you can pre-order for delivery for um, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, they're already 20% off between now and November 6th. If you use the promo code ATLAS10, you'll get an extra 10% off for a 30% discount. So check them out at 
at belcampo.com. Use the promo code ATLAS10, that's A-T-L-A-S-1-0, for an extra 10% to already 20% off turkeys between now and November 6th. I already said how good the beef is. I just finished with the chicken once again that going back uh, to Rocky Balboa and, and the trainer, Mickey, thank goodness that their chicken wasn't around back then because instead of chasing that freaking chicken that Mickey had him doing, <laughs> he would have ate the chicken. <laughs> he, he, right, right there, right there. Would have been a whole different scene. Would have ate the little Belcampo chicken. Um, no, yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Hey guys, before we dive in, I want to quickly announce our two winners of the PowerDot giveaway that we held last week. The two winners are Wes Perkinson and Alexander Montero. We'll be reaching out to you both by email and comping your orders. Thanks to all who purchased the PowerDot device with the promo code ATLAS. You're still entered in the pool to win in the future. Next week, we'll be selecting several more winners. So if you purchase a PowerDot with the promo code ATLAS, you'll not only get 20% off your order, but you'll also have a one in five chance of getting it for free. More on this in the show notes. Let's talk UFC. Big fight card recently, this past Saturday night. Um, I know you had a chance to watch it. Before we get into the co-main and the main, I think you had a chance to look at some of the undercards and had some uh, comments you wanted to share. So with that, I'll let you jump into it and take me wherever you want, whichever fights you want to discuss. Yeah, I figured, listen, I figured that scratch it. That's touched the undercard only because we didn't plan on it. Full disclosure for you guys out there. We didn't plan on doing the undercard other than the Whitaker co-main. But I decided to touch on it quickly because I was impressed. I'm not saying those were the most competitive fights. They didn't turn out to be. But the reason they didn't turn out to be, of course, the co and the main uh, turned out to be the electricity that you want to see, especially in a legend uh, like Habib, but the the cold ones uh, or the the preliminaries that I'm going to touch on now that Ken just set up, I want to do it because not because they were competitive fights or great fights, but because of the talent, the new talent. At least for me, the new seeing these guys, you know, make the scene. I just wanted to mention what I thought about them as far as their future, and how they struck me. They got my attention enough to take a few extra minutes to talk about them on our podcast, and that's that's because I think they have a future, a great future. The first one will be the Russian, uh, and, and Cal, uh, you help me with the name. Um, uh, Magomed, Magomed Ankaleev versus Ion uh, Kuchaleba. Yeah. Kuchaleba lost. It yep. was a rematch. The first one ended in controversy. And it was controversy. Very. I saw the replay. I mean, come on. It was kind of... I, You know, kind of... His acting was too good. You know, <laughs> uh, the Hulk, right? Yeah. Uh, he, he played Possum in the first one in the first round, uh, their first fight. And he played Possum like he was getting hurt with the kicks, hoping to get uh, Ankalaev to, you know, to bite. Right, he was thinking, yeah. trying to get him to come in, where he could counter him, catch him, get him into his wheelhouse, so to speak. And the referee believed him that he was really <laughs> that hurt. It was yeah. kind of crazy, you know. Yeah, and it was really unfortunate. It. Yeah, so they had a rematch, and in the rematch, well, there was no mistake of what happened here. There was no controversy here, 
And Kalayev, uh stopped him in the first round in a bad stoppage. Well, he stopped him again in the first round in a good stoppage. Uh, yep. He destroyed him. Uh, he, 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 um, the thing that impressed me the most about him that I, I looked at, and the reason why I'm touching on it, is he just looked like someone to look out for and take seriously. He was calm. He had good height and reach. Ankalayev, I'm talking about, smart, and, and a southpaw, which makes it a little bit more difficult to deal with him. He reminded me, you're going to laugh here, Ken, but he reminded me a little bit of another Russian boxer, guy named Klitschko, one of the Klitschko brothers, um, in the way that, you know, he's tall, he had good height and reach, and he knew how to use it, and he had this European style to him that you used to see in the Eastern European boxes years ago, and Klitschko was one of them, where they extend, in this case it was a southpaw, they extend that lead hand, the, the jabbing hand, and very loose, and they circle with it. They circle with it. And they could jab or they could hook. Or throw a counterhook. And, and they circle. It's, it's an awkward, unorthodox sort of approach. Straight up, circling with this. And then bang. And he had a little bit of that Eastern European look that reminded me of Klitschko. And with that, you know, with that lead jab in hand and bouncing it up and down, circling with it, keeping it loose where, again, you could jab, you could counter with it with the hook. He controls range well. Uh, and he's very calm, disciplined. He keeps you at the end of his jab. Uh, changes the range where he'll step out to get you to kind of entice you to reach in uh, where he can set up a counter. I, I just I just like his his whole makeup of what I'm kind of describing here. He controls the distance. He got the Hulk to follow him as he used his legs well uh, to move on the outside. But he was always set to punch, whether to move in under control or move out to set up some counters. Uh, he got the Hulk to reach or walk in, and he counted with perfect straight left hand, the power punch of the southpaw. Uh, he, he, he got him to walk right into it. He really looked like someone who, for me, would be at the top uh, with his style and ability or has a chance to be, and the discipline. And, and the wiry, he, he's got a wiry frame, and that usually tells me the guy can, is going to be a puncher. Because the guys that are wiry, uh, they usually get good leverage, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, historically, for me at least. So, uh, again, I deliberate, very deliberate. That's, I just, I, that's my scouting report as far as uh, a guy to look for. And then the other one, I think it was the third fight, Ken, was also a first-round knockout. Again, I'm not doing these because they turned out to be greatly competitive, but I love this guy, Phil Horse. Yeah. Uh, am I pronouncing him right? H-A-W-E-S? Yep. And boy, he, he knocked out uh, Jacob uh, Malkoon, and I was I was just very impressed, Ken. He, yeah. He was, he, first of all, he's got great power, but I like how he delivered it, and he delivered it by short walking, he short-stepped to his man. He, he kept his man in front of him, 
And this uh, kind of like his prey. Mm. It was like he got the feeling. He kept his prey in front of him. And then in in a very controlled manner, he closed the gap. And, of course, the show by short-stepping, taking these little steps so he never smothered himself. Not everyone does this. It was a technique that I don't see many people use where he didn't smother himself by being over-anxious. He was... He always kept himself in perfect position, kind of like, kind of like the great Joe Lewis that I always, you know, use as an example. That was always in position, uh, always, always balanced, and and even in a way, the the great Japanese uh, boxing champion right now, who who is always balanced, always in position, never out of position. And so he threw his punches not only with, you know, great form, which I like, but they were smart, well-placed, intentionally placed punches uh, to get the job done efficiently. Uh, I made a note to myself, I want to see more of him. Uh, Just like I used to make notes when I was doing the Friday Night Fights on ESPN, I would make a note, I want to see this guy again. I would, you know, tell the program guys, hey, talk to this promoter and tell him to put him on more because this is a guy we can follow, a guy we can watch develop that I think can develop into something. And I'd like to see more of him. I think our audience would. And I'm kind of doing the same thing here for the people. Uh, again, he had he had good controlled legs uh, and not in a way that the conventional way that we usually talk about gauging somebody's good legs where they're moving around, they're going outside, they're using the ring. No, you can have good legs while you're being aggressive too, Ken. And he had good legs, as I said, closing the gaps, um, you know, not moving around the ring. In this case, you know, he moved in with just that very educated, controlled legs, uh, setting up where his upper body was able to strike from perfect position. When he got there, as I said, with Inoue, Inoue the Japanese champion that we have, and with uh, with the old great late Joe Lewis, always where you needed to be with your legs. So the upper body could deliver the what it needed to deliver. Uh, was never off balance. Uh, just perfect striking position. And uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of, it's kind of like a, you got the crane that moves the wrecking ball into position. The crane's got to get that ball in position, Ken, and then you wreck the building. <laughs> that's what it looked like to me a little bit. I know that's pretty graphic. Uh, <laughs> kids might not want to listen to that. Oh, my God. Oh, gee. Uh, wrecking the, a wrecking ball. But he was. He, was, he, he got himself in position. And then he he wrecked the guy in front of him. Uh, so I I really I really I really enjoyed watching him, and watching how he got it done. And I feel a little bit like Sis those two movie Cisco uh, and critics. Yeah, a little bit like that. I'm giving a thumbs up to guys that I think <laughs> are worth watching in the future. You know? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm giving my uh, my reviews out there. For what they're worth, and then of course there was a there was a woman's fight with Lauren Murphy, uh, beating uh, Shakarova, and I that was a mismatch, and I think it's fair that I just mentioned it in five seconds, only because 
I do it when boxing has a mismatch. UFC has them once in a while too. Not as many, not as many, but once in a while. And this this was one of those things that happened, where it was a mismatch, where um, where she just she just didn't have enough experience, and um, she was you know Murphy was physically stronger, more experienced, and Shakarova was just maybe she'll she'll get better down the road, but she wasn't ready for that kind of competition at this point in her career, at this early point in her career. And and then that brings us to uh, Volkov, Alexander Volkov and um, Walt Harris. That was, I was impressed. I was impressed because Volkov had six foot seven, I believe that's what he was, six yep. seven. He, he impressed me with his control and focus, never giving up his height. You know, which a lot of tall guys don't know how to fight tall. And he was doing it against the Sapor. He recognized that straight rights would be effective and throwing them straight without any loading up. And he didn't give up his height when he did it. Yeah. He pivoted on his foot. He kept the advantage of being a taller guy. That's what you're supposed to do on the outside. And and was still efficient offensively without giving up defense. Uh, I really I noticed that I recognized that, and I, that's why I'm talking about it. Um, he didn't give any warning, uh, and like I said, he he maintained that reach advantage uh, by extending his punch and keeping that position on the outside. Very efficient punches, no wasted motion, very clean. I like the way he finished the fight, showing good athleticism for such a big guy. Landing a straightforward kick to the body. It was amazing. Oh, I mean, he's this kick. big guy and he throws that beautiful kick. I mean, I talk about, I do these videos with, we've talked about it before. We've promoted it with, um, with uh, uh, dynamic striking. We do these videos where I do instructional videos. And we just did one recently on signature punches, the Solarplex punch. Yeah, I've never seen a solo plex kick. <laughs> that was perfectly was, placed. I, I I might have to go and add this into the video. I mean, <laughs> it, it literally short circuited Walt Harris's whole system. It just shut him right down. One kick, boom. Okay, I surrender. Yeah, it was just. Uh, it really was a mean. It was amazing. It really was, and uh, the other. I think that leads us. To where you can you can lead us the rest of the way because I think that leads us to the co-main, which was um, which was Whitaker and, and Cannoneer, which uh, I was I enjoyed all the I enjoyed the co and the the main event, but you take it as far as I believe that was the co. Yeah, that's right, uh, Whitaker. Um really put it to Cannoneer. Cannoneer, interestingly enough, has come down all the way from heavyweight to now middleweight. And, um, man, I thought this one would be much more competitive. Uh, Israel Adesanya, the reigning champ at middleweight, basically said, um, Cannoneer, if you can get through Robert Whitaker, uh, you're next. I think they're friends. And um, very respectful, but needless to say, Whitaker had other plans and just literally put it on Cannoneer. Um 
Whitaker gets the win. Dana says that he's probably next for Adesanya, which would be a rematch because Adesanya really put it on Whitaker the last time they fought. So that would be an interesting setup for um, the UFC because I, I guess you have to give Whitaker the next shot, but it really wasn't that competitive the first time he got in there with Izzy. So sets up an interesting dynamic there. But um, yeah, I know you got a chance to watch and have some thoughts on the fights. I'd love to hear what you saw. Well... The first thing I say is you said, you know, it was an easy win for Whitaker. I I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna disagree just a little bit. And it started it looked like it was gonna be an easy win, the first two rounds. I thought the first round was close. Second round Whitaker pulled ahead, really dominated the round using his jab. Boy, he used a good oh wow. He really did. He used he used a good jab. Um and he he used a good southpaw jab, uh, brilliantly. But like my friend from ESPN, it's a very popular show. Uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, people out there watch it. It's College Game Day. You watch it too, Ken, I'm sure. And you have the great Lee Corso. It's on Saturdays before the college football schedule gets started. And they do their thing, kind of like what we do, you know, breaking everything down. And Lee Corso will come on and wear the wear the uh, mascot uniform of the team that he thinks is going to win. You know, I'm going to get yeah. a mascot uniform for you to wear of the, of the team. Let's see if I can get that done. Um, I, I'm going to, I'd have to work with your wife and your kids. I'm sure they would love, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'd love the opportunity to, to get you to put on one of those, 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 top oh, for sure. Hell, those, those, those top heads. <laughs> of one of those teams, uh, whether it's a bulldog for the Georgia Bulldog or, you know, an eagle for the Boston College Eagle, whatever. So, but Lee Corso has a little saying, you know, he, he, would, he would start to be asked to analyze something and one of his, you know, partners there on the set would say something and then he would suddenly say, not so fast. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Not so fast, Ken. Not so mm-hmm. fast. Yeah, it looked like an easy one, Ken. But then something happened. What happened was Cannonier, you showed his great, great resiliency and great heart and said, not so fast in the third round. You're not so fast. Because he, uh, again, the, the first round close. The second round Whitaker, I thought, dominated. Uh, he used his jab, like I said, brilliantly uh, to win rounds, control the fight. Uh, I mean, the way that the great late Willie Pep, uh, the Will of the Wisp, uh, the great featherweight champ, one of the great fighters of all time, he used to win fights with just his jab. Uh, you know, you get fighters that can do that. That's how important a weapon it is. That's how... That's how big the jab is. I mean, the jab is the key for everything. It starts everything, and it can finish everything. It controls everything. It can control the guy offensively and defensively. Where you step out, bang, you hit him another jab before he can come in. You control defense. It sets everything up. I, like I say on ESPN, when I was commenting on the fights, whatever, someone else might be saying it now, where you the jab... It sets the table, and and then you go eat with the other punches, 
And yeah. that's Whitaker again. He demonstrated the importance of the jab. Um, I'm, I'm going to be shameless enough. I do that once in a while, but you allow me to. Where I, I will mention of the uh, dynamic striking videos that I do, the instructional, and we just did one on jabs. 14 <laughs> different jabs. Did you know there were 14 different ways to throw a jab? No. Get the video. Okay. <laughs> You'll find out. You'll find out. But he he wins the first two rounds uh, as a southpaw jab. And then he survives Cannoneer's leg kicks. Some pretty vicious ones, I'll tell you. So it wasn't that easy. He had to survive those Whitaker B and he. And then in the third round, again, he's he's winning the round and he's using that jab. And then Cannonier does what what fighters do. He behaves like a fighter. He he finds a way to overcome. He finds a way to he refuses to say that it's over. You know, Yogi Berra used to say, it ain't over till it's over. And that's the greatest quality we have as human beings, Ken, is when we just do not give in to defeat. And he wouldn't give in. He just, he, he, gets, he gets caught with a leg kick by Whitaker. Beautiful setup. I think that's his Sunday, I was going to say punch, but I guess I'd have to call it his Sunday kick. Um, that's, Sunday that's, strike. Yeah, that's his Sunday strike, Ken. That's his. I mean, that's his. That's his thing. That that really is, because he throws. And those commentators are great. Those commentators, they really are. They do their job. Yeah. Uh, he he threw a one-two, you know, jab, and then the power punch, the left hand from the southpaw position, right? He throws the one-two, but he throws it as a setup. He throws it as a distraction. He throws it as a throwaway punch or punches, where he gets his opponent, in this case, uh, Kananiya, he, he gets him to be in the position he needs where he's out of position, and he's not going to see the kick coming. So he goes bang, bang, and then the kick. And wow, he catches him on the side of the head with the kick in the third round. Looks like he's going to close the show. He's yep. going to knock him out. He wobbles him. He, 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 you know, Kananiya gets hurt. He goes back, and he goes in for the kill. And Whitaker goes in, gets him to the floor. Looks like he's going to submit him. He's got him on the floor. And somehow, somehow, come on, we know how. Because <laughs> he demands to give in. He, he refuses to give in. And Kananiya finds a way to get out of that. Looked like he was a Ghana. Mm -hmm. Looked like he was going to be submitted. He gets out of that chokehold. He gets off the floor, gets to his feet. See, that's the brilliance of, that's that's the specialness of these UFC fighters and, and the boxers they, in our world that they, they find the capacity, the place to go that most people don't even know exists. That they that they go to this this ugly room this this room without oxygen, and they find oxygen. <laughs> 
They, they do. Well, the people say, I, 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 there's no oxygen. I'm, it's over. No, they, they find their own oxygen. They find a way. The guy gets up off the floor, starts competing again in the third round. Oh, I could talk about this all day. I, I want <laughs> everyone to appreciate what this guy did. And he's back in the fight, and what happens? Whitaker makes a mistake. He throw. That's why you never give up. You never know. When you give up, you do know. It's over. Yep. But you don't give up. You never know. You never know. He throws the jab that he was dominating the fight with. Whitaker throws it a little lazy. From a little too close. See, the jab's a great weapon. It is. If it's thrown and respected to be thrown at the right time and distance and position. You throw it from the wrong position at the wrong time and your opponent's ready to counter and you're a little too close, as you throw it, bang, you're opening a window, you're opening a door to get counter. You got to throw it where you're not counterable. I just made up that word. I like to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the great thing about having your own podcast. You can make up your own words sometimes. <laughs> you know, you can. I mean, there's yeah. nobody there. You know, if I was on ESPN, there'd be, there'd be like four... You know, directors and producers of my ass. That's not a word, Ted. Ted. <laughs> Ted, that's not a word. And then I get in my talk back and say, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me. Half of the words I use are words. Haven't you learned that yet? Come on. So you got to throw from a distance where the guy can't counter you. You got to be aware. It's a great punch, but if you, it's a dangerous punch. If you don't know where to throw it from, because it opens a door to a counter. Mm -hmm. And for this split second, after dominating, you know, three rounds with the jab for the most part, Whitaker throws it a little lazy from a little too close. And what's he get caught with? He gets caught, being that he's a southpaw and he's strong, he gets caught with a hook, with a left hook right over it. I want to just look at my notes, um, make sure. Yeah, he gets, so he throws it from a little too close. He gets caught with the hook over it, and he gets hurt. He gets staggered. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, wow, game on. Like, <laughs> oh, who said this was over? Who said this was over? And, and the courage, the toughness, the resiliency, the... The behavior of a fighter got him back in a fight. Got got him, got Cannonier back into the fight. Gave him another chance. And he went right after Whitaker. Whitaker, to his credit, again, he survived it. And then he dominated and at the end. He finished strong. And he, you know, he, he, he got a beautiful win. But I thought it was only fitting to give the due to both of them and also to Cannonier for how he never gave up and how he almost pulled it out of the fire uh, by taking advantage of one mistake. It might have been the only mistake all night where Whitaker, you know, threw that jab from too close, that southpaw jab, and he got counted with the hook. And for a second there, a little <laughs> shaky. But yeah. terrific, terrific performance by Whitaker. Terrific. Yep. 
No, Matter I agree. of fact, I want to I wanna clap. <laughs> and both of them. Ken and Mia, too. Tough guys, tough guys. UFC, there's no, no one slipping through the cracks there. Very, like you said earlier, very few mismatches, if ever. Um, that brings us to the main event, the star of the show, Khabib Namagamadov, Justin Gaethje, master performance from Khabib Namagamadov. After the fight, Dana White reveals that he had broken his foot, possibly two toes. Um, you'd never know it, aside from a little piece of tape he had on, on uh, one of the toes. But man, he looked awesome. Just went in there. Relentless pressure on Gaethje. Kept it on him all night. Gaethje, tough as hell. Gave him, gave it everything he had. But in the end, it was just, Khabib's just too much. Too much fighter for him. And just put it on him. Got him in a uh, triangle submission from the top. Just masterful performance. And then retires in the ring afterwards. It's the first and only fight he's had without his dad in his corner. And after the fight said he can't go on without his dad. And uh, left his gloves in the ring. And I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this one. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. Let me have it. Thank you, Ken. Well, first of all, I want to make a correction. Yes. I make mistakes, too, believe it or not. Um, I just described the Whitaker fight, uh, and everything I say I, you know, is what happened, what I saw, and what I obviously want to applaud, but I made one mistake. Whitaker, that's why I make notes. Whitaker was throwing an orthodox jab against the southpaw, uh, in in um, Cannoneer. So it was his orthodox jab that was dominating all night against the southpaw, which really, really, really made it extra impressive because you don't usually dominate from an orthodox position. You land right hands with a southpaw, you know, southpaw killer, but you don't usually dominate with a jab because it's hard to get the right angle, the right feel the right position for the jab but um Whitaker was from an orthodox position was using his jab to score against his southpaw so I got that twisted and at the end but but it it all happened the way I said it it's just as a you know the reverse positions of style where at the end when Whitaker got caught in the third round. He got caught throwing an orthodox, you know, conventional left-hand jab, and he got caught, which was really extra impressive. He got caught over it with a southpaw hook from from Cannoneer. And usually when an orthodox fighter will get counted by a southpaw, uh, will get counted, you know, throwing a jab, it'll be by an orthodox fighter throwing a straight right hand over his jab. He throws it, it's the back hand. It's, in other words, it's, the orthodox fighter is in this position, and the right hand is in a power lane, power position, where you throw it from back here, and you turn into it, and that's your power punch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when an orthodox fighter throws the jab from too close with another orthodox fighter, the, the opponent might, bang, throw the right hand over that jab. In this case, the opponent, Kananiyev, was a southpaw. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do that. He couldn't counter Whitaker with this, you know, as the jab comes. Boom, throw the right hand. 
He had the right hand in front as a southpaw. He had to counter him with a hook. That was pretty damn good. So yeah. Whitaker throws the jab in the third round. A little careless, a little slow, a little bit from too far away, from the wrong position. And what happens? Cannonier, bam, catches him with the right hook. Yeah. And wobbles him. So I just wanted to make that I wanted to make that correction out there. Um and make sure we don't have any uh because I love our fans there. I know that they would never, never look to be critical or <laughs> in any way hurtful. Never. <laughs> never. But but they might, you know, just properly say Ted it was Southpaw was the other way. Oh, yeah. But you get the idea. Everything else is what it was. And as far as the main event with with uh, Gachi and Khabib, well, you know, you set it up. You set it up the way it was. Uh, Khabib going in this fight the first time without his father. He has fought without his father in the corner be before, though, right, Ken? I believe so. I believe so, yeah. He, he has, but never without his father on this earth. Without, without his father in the camp leading up to it, etc., yeah. etc., et yeah. Yeah. So he goes in there with, obviously, the heavy heart of missing the man who, you know, it's kind of like Tiger Woods without his father when his father passed. I mean, Tiger Woods was created in a way, built, made into a champion golfer by his father from the time he was, you know, the time he was born. He That was the plan. Same way yep. with Lomachenko, right? Yep. Uh, who just lost to Lopez. I mean, his father had a plan from the time that, you know, he was born, that he's going to be a champion. And so here, here he is without that man. And, well, this is what I saw. I saw a few good shots and leg kicks, um, you know, by Gadji, where early on he landed some good, good, good leg shots, kicks, um, but the punches, even though he landed like a left hook, I believe, if my memory is right, uh, he landed a couple, you know, a couple solid shots on the chin of Khabib, who's pressing the action, of course. But the punches, Ken, were almost, des they were like desperation shots, not calm, yeah. under control ones. They were, they were like, um, they were out of trying to survive and kind of like hold the guy off. There was a certain frenziness. I think that's fair, right? Almost Where, like Hail Mary punches. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like a, the clock is, the clock is ticking down in a football game. And you got to throw a Hail Mary pass into the end zone down the field as far as you can throw. And you hope, you just hope. It's not something that you that just have tremendous belief in or confidence in or that you wanted to be in that position. You're just hoping, almost hoping against hope that it's going gonna, it's gonna to get caught, mm -hmm. that it's going to pull you out of the fire, that it's going to land. And for me, I'm watching it deeper than, you know, I would think, than the average person saying, wait a minute, yeah, he's throwing. Yeah, he landed a couple. But there's a frenziness 
an out-of-controlness in his approach. There's not a, there's not a, a calm or a, a real true belief behind them as there normally is with Gagey. Gagey is terrific. And it tells you what this guy's about, Ken. Uh, it tells, and for the people that don't necessarily see it, they just look at it as a one-time one visual at the final result. But they don't see what this guy does, how he deteriorates you. How, with, without even throwing a punch, just by his pressure, his presence, his look, everything. They don't realize. And I had a friend um, who's a real MMA expert. And part of this is he's in that crowd with everybody that I would hope that I can add something to their to what they to what they don't see, they see a guy that I just described engaging who normally throws more control punches, better punches, all right, less phonetic phonetic punches, uh, more control punches, and he's not, and they don't see why, they don't see what else is going on there, they don't see the the radiant rays of the sun. On a hot 105 degree July day that's coming down and evaporating that puddle in the street. They don't see those rays. They see the puddle's gone. But they don't see the rays before the puddle is gone that make that puddle disappear. The, those rays of Khabib are there. That's part of what makes him special. That's why I want to do this podcast this way today. I wanted people to be able to understand that part, which is very hard to understand if it's not explained or if you haven't been there and had that experience. He submits these ultra rays, these infrared rays in his confidence, his belief, his persona, his pressure, all of that. And when you when you believe that you're going to have the effect that you're used to having, you throw the punches in a certain way. But when you're overtaken by these rays, what I'm describing here, by this kind of presence, pressure, life is... Uh, I was going to say boxing and UFC 75% mental. I'm not saying it. Life is. Life is. How many of you people out there sitting in a desk doing whatever you're doing, thank God, taking care of your family, trying to take care of them, taking care of them, Wherever you are, wherever you are, in a garage, working on cars, in a classroom, teaching, in a hospital, as a nurse, doctor, PA, whatever, whatever it happens to be, how many of you have been worn down by something? You don't even know what it was, but you you feel you feel worn down. You feel broken you feel 
sometimes hopeless. You feel less than what you want to feel like, like you're not in control. It's pressure. It's pressure. It's a form of pressure. It's raise. This pressure is more intense. This one's there right there. The other one might get at you day by day, hour by hour, week by week, month by month. The responsibilities of being a single mom, whatever it is. But this one is right there at you at that moment in this chamber of truth, whether a boxing ring or whether an octagon in this case. And it's coming at you. And rather than throwing the punches the way you normally with that confidence, with that form, you're, you're like the guy that's at the last stand of the Alamo. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, Ken. And normally, normally, you know, you're shooting with a design to your shooting where like here he is, boom, boom, bop, bop, bop. You know, there's a purpose. You know that there's a belief that you're going to get to the guys that you got to get to. But at the Alamo, you know there's another 5,000 of those guys coming in the door. I, I could just say it's over. Now, nobody <laughs> says it's over. Nobody consciously says, but you behave like, like, you're at the Alamo. Because you know there's another freaking 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 guys coming. <laughs> yeah, like you're out of control. That control that you normally have, that mindset of control that you normally live within is gone. Gone. Hopeless. Now, I'm, I just finished saying it in the podcast, we never give up hope. I, I, I say it again. I stand by that. It's true. But there's some people that make you feel like you don't have hope. Now, you have to cooperate to a certain degree I'll give you that but these guys are special Lomachenko at his best when he was making all those guys quit what do you think he was doing these guys didn't go in there wanting to quit they never quit in their life before on that night he was like I said before like the Kung Fu guy and he, he goes into your chest cavity and he pulls your heart out yep. without, without that you have no hope he takes away, Lomachenko would make you feel like you couldn't hit him, you couldn't control him, like he was in control, like you had no hope. And you were an empty vessel. You just fell. I mean, that's what he did. And, I mean, Muhammad Ali did it to George Foreman. In Zaev, Foreman is one of the greatest human beings, fighters, champions, successful people I've ever met in my life. But most of it from what he did after that. Oh, he learned from that. But on that night in Zaire, Ali made him feel like there was no hope. Yeah, He made him feel like he wasn't in control. Like Ali was in control. No. You're in control until you say you're not in control. And that's what happened. That's what he does. That's what Khabib does in a way that I'm trying to explain it. And like I said, there's a friend of mine, Anthony. He's a great uh, MMA uh, fan and expert. I mean, he knows all of it. 
Mm-hmm. And he sent me a text after the fight saying how disappointed he was in Gagey, the way he threw his punches, there was slot. There were... No, you're not seeing what created that. The greatness, the phenomena, the specialness. And he's a small guy, Anthony. He's my friend. But I'm sure there's a lot of him that is seeing it the same way. Gee, why did he throw like this? Why did he throw like that? Why was he tired so fast? <laughs> well, because when you're in there with that unstoppable force, yeah, that's what I'm going to name it. He makes himself an unstoppable, immovable object. When you're in there with that, and that comes across to the other guy, you, you start... I'm not going to say panic. I'm not going to use that word. That's, that's f- more for the civilians uh, that, that don't have the training that a, that a gadget and these, you know, these guys have. But you run too fast. You start running too fast to try to keep this immovable force off of you. This unstoppable force off of you. You start running to you start burning up, Ken. You start you're 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 combusting too much energy, too much fuel. You don't mean to, but it's what happens. And you're running too fast. You're working too hard. You're working at a harder rate than your body can sustain to keep because it's here too. To keep this immovable, unstoppable force from invading your soul. And, and so that's what took place. And that's why you see him tired. That's why you, you turn around on a 105 degree July day and you turn and you say, where'd the puddle go? You didn't see the waves. To your point, it's like when you're watching a fight and the trainer is telling him, throw this jab, and, and, and the commentator's like, I don't know why he's not doing that. Well, he obviously thinks that when he does that, he's getting countered, or he's convinced himself he's going to get countered. And let's not forget, Gaethje looked like the a threat. killer. You're right, the threat, the threat, the, the pressure, the, 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 the infrared rays. They're hitting you all the time. Like, like Almost like you have no say you no longer have say in what's going to happen. Of course you do. Yeah. But it's like that's been taken away from you. Yeah. And let's not forget, Gaethje looked awesome against Tony Ferguson, who's considered a super elite striker. So it's not like Gaethje became a different person in there. It was Khabib who made him into a different person and imposed his will on him, and it just forced Gaethje's whole game plan to change and went out the window. Hey, listen, what's good for the gander... Well, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, right? Okay. I got to be honest enough, man enough, whatever the freak you want to call it. doesn't take much of a man to do this. But um, man has to do tougher things than this. But to be honest, I've been there. I felt it. I don't want to say this. I was going to let it go. I'm human. I have this, that part in my brain that says, let that go. <laughs> Let that go because it'd be a little more convenient to let it go, Teddy. A little more comfortable. Let it go. Talk about the examples with someone else that doesn't touch you. No, no, that's not fair. It happened to us. It happened to me. Um, My fault. 
but it happened to me uh, with my champion, who was, I think he's a great fighter, great champion. He beat Adonis Stevenson, great puncher. And um, he's a bronze medalist. You know, he retired, but he's a bronze medalist. I mean, he's part of the Lomachenko Yusik uh, stable. I'm talking about Alexander Volzik. And when we fought Better BF, we were in that, we were in that place with those rays. Better BF put forward that kind of that kind of force. That kind of uh irresistible almost, but uh that kind of force, those rays. That 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 persona, that attitude, that presence, physical and, and mental, that I don't give a crap what you do to me. It ain't changing what I'm gonna do to you. <laughs> yeah, I, you have no say. I have to, and of course, it's it's not true, but it, it's it's convincing. It's um debilitating, and we felt it. My fighter fought Alexander. He fought his heart out, and he fought a tremendous fight, and he was winning going into the tenth round on all scorecards. Um. But that force, I'd be lying if I didn't say that we didn't feel it. I didn't even, I, I was aware of it. So I know what I'm talking about. I felt it. I've been susceptible to it. And um, I recognize it. And I'm putting it out there for the fans out there to to hope that it helps everybody in their own places in the world to be aware of such things. And at the end of the day, you still can control it, but you have to be, you, you got to have that asbestos suit on <laughs> mm. <laughs> to keep those rays, you know. And that's this. That's the development uh, on your own. And uh, my fighter, I think, had it, but it still got to us because I don't think I quite did enough on that night to... Uh, to deal with it or to be aware of of truly as much as I have no excuse because I am aware but of truly how how debilitating it is and um so I I know what the frick I'm talking about <laughs> and um <laughs> whether I want to or not and I just want to say that I think Gagey is tremendous. I think he's going to probably be a world champion. I think Poirier is going to be a world champion. Again, I think they're tremendous. True people of the merit of what they put, they put themselves forward to be. Truly, truly warriors. Truly honest about what they face. Both of them. And, um, and truly people that uh give respect uh an appreciation and understanding to the difference of being in there with a guy that is just gonna be tough all night, but a guy who has reached the level I'm talking about uh where he projects everything. Uh, that is power within this vocation. Uh, true power. Power of the mind, 
power of the belief, power of the spirit, power of the body. And um, like I said, I until you're in it, until you feel that heat, you know, it's kind of like you 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 think that you felt the heat of a stove until you felt the heat of a furnace. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, Ken? Yeah, yeah, yeah We took Alex. You were with me in camp. We we took him to um, to cryo cryotherapy, and yep. where it would be a hundred hundred fifty degrees below zero. Put him in a chamber to revitalize him after a workout, right? And then we found another place that had a temperature of a hundred ninety <laughs> below. Wow. <laughs> we thought we were feeling something at 150, 140, 160, and then you go to 190 or 200 <laughs> below. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's different. It's all cold. <laughs> yep. It's all cold, baby. It's all cold, brother. Brothers <sighs> out there, sisters, it's all cold. But this stuff is stunningly immobilizing, paralyzing cold and that's what i'm talking about and to you feel it for the first time you're not you don't know what it really is mm -hmm. that's that's what i'm saying that's what this podcast today is about it ain't about khabib just being another guy he, no he beat a tremendous guy but it ain't just about that he you know he mounted the guy he did this he his legs and all of that beautiful but it's about this that his father was part of and um i'll finish it up by saying i always say to you guys out there that the thing that is always consistent always reliable always there paralleled with my sport whether it's UFC, any form of fighting, any form of overcoming, any form of dealing with fear, any form of, of you know, resistance, of, of challenge, challenge to your being, to your existence, you know, any of that kind of threat, any of that, any of it, there's, there's always going to be a need, a need to to overcome that, to be able to deal with that. Um, but there's also going to be a component, a part of that, that is a special intelligence. How many times have you heard me say, Ken, that that when you're in this business, the mental part's the most important. And what these guys don't get enough credit for that I always see and try to remind people of the parallels, the top guys are smart. It separates them. Yeah, they're tough. It's a prerequisite to this business, to the fighting business. It's a prerequisite to life. I hate to remind... News memo! <laughs> You, you want to make it out there? Yeah, you go to school. Yeah, you get good marks. Yeah, but you better be tough. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, you better be tough too. 
You better be able to take a punch in the nose, whether <laughs> it's literally or figuratively. But you better be able to to say no. I'm not going away. I'm not going yeah. away. Yeah. But all of these guys consistently that separate from just the tough guys are the ones that are smart too, under that kind of extreme environment to be smart to be able to think. And I. I always applaud them for that. That my in my business, it's the guys like Salvador Sanchez who beat the great Indian Red Lopez years ago in the 80s, 70s. Well, I love Danny Red Lopez, little Red Lopez. Loved him. Great puncher, tough, undefeated. He fought Salvador Sanchez. Sanchez destroyed him. They were both tough, but Sanchez was smarter, so it made him tougher. And you see the same things here. It's not just the physical strength and the quickness but and the toughness, but the ability to be smart separates them. Khabib, smart, brilliant, genius, knows his technique. At the end, how does he finish his quickness? Whoop! He gets on him, he mounts him, and next thing you know, he makes a move, He's got his legs wrapped around him, like you said at the beginning, like a python around <laughs> his neck. Technique, smart, the right move at the right time, calmness, the whole package. Smart, so smart. Oh, he's just a tough, he's an animal. No, no, no. <laughs> no, please, please, please. Don't even let that come out of your mouth, not understanding what he really is. He's so much more. And the special ones are. And he and so he's got that, he's got that asbestos suit that he wears that is able to hold off what he puts out, that if someone pushes it back to him, he can ward it off. He can repel it. He's got that development. And he's got the ability to put those rays, those ultraviolet, infrared, whatever you want to call them. They burn you up. They debilitate you. They evaporate you. And at the end, like I said, he was like a, I don't know, he was like a, a cheater. You, you ever watch those wildlife shows where the cheetah gets, gets the prey, you know, whatever yeah. the prey is, yeah. chases it down, you know, with its great speed, gets up on it, mounts it, but what does it do? It's instinctual and smart enough to go right to the juggler. It doesn't waste time biting around the ears. You know, <laughs> I know this is tough. You've, uh, I hope nobody's getting ready to have lunch or anything like that or have children. And they say, Teddy, we can't <laughs> watch this with our children when you're on. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, we love you but, and we love Ken, but <laughs> we got to take the kids out of the room. But I'm just, the point is, the cheetah, the jaguar, whatever, goes right to the juggler because they're smart. They know where to go to not waste any time mm -hmm. or energy. And that's what uh, Khabib knew where to go. Got the legs up there, made the move, went underneath. Boom. He's, he got the whole thing done. And I want to finish because normally I finish with that. Um... And I want to say one other thing. I always use the word at the right times, supreme confidence. 
that's the definite this guy's the definition of that guys i i, I just want to make sure I, I said that to you that khabib was calm and controlled and sure knowing what was going to happen because he wouldn't let anything else happen supreme confidence that's what it means and that's what it is that's supreme confidence Complete belief. The ones that Sugar Ray Robinson had, Muhammad Ali had it, the great ones have it. It's not something that everyone has. And um, in the end, yes, so strong on the mat and so quick to move and mount him. And let's not forget, also so smart, as I said, to use the proper you know moves and technique to get to him. And, and then retire. You talk about strength. But how about that inner strength of character to retire as his mom asked him to now that his dad's no longer, you know, obviously with him to help him. And finally, I want to say, this is what I was saying. I usually leave it, Ken, with the physical physical description and analysis of what took place, you know, and the mental too. But this one I want to leave it I want to go somewhere else I want to say that his dad did a great job not just as a trainer the obvious you know make it a great champion which of course he is but in the way that he taught him and instilled in him the great principles and character it takes to be a real champion and how to carry yourself as a champion because if you don't feel like a champion inside well you can't act like one on the outside all you need to know that his father accomplished that was really to hear him talk after the fight when he applauded his opponent and gave him the great credit that he did. Again, he was humble, yet he was proud and respectful. Everything a champion in anything should be. And a credit to his father who made him. We should have more fathers and sons and people like him. So I just want to say congratulations, good luck to him in his retirement. And um, his sons, I don't know if he has children, Ken, but if he's blessed enough and he wants to have children, his sons and whatever children he will have or has, they're also going to be champions. How could they not be when they're going to be taught by such a man who lives by such principles? And such teachings. How can they not be? And you know what that means? It means we'll probably have some more UFC champs in the future. But more importantly, it'll mean that we have better human beings on this planet. And we need them. We need them even more than Dana White needs more UFC champions. Believe me, we do. That's all I have to say. Oh, that was beautiful. Um, yeah, congratulations to Khabib. Looks like it uh, leaves that weight class wide open now here for um, the likes of Conor McGregor, our friend Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, obviously, Tony Ferguson. Should be interesting to see what happens there. Um but with that, let's get to some boxing. I know that our fans, uh, the bo hardcore boxing fans, are going to be ready to hear about um, the fight from Friday night on The Zone. Juan Carl Juan 
on Francisco Estrada versus Carlos Quadras, a rematch from a 2017 match. Estrada won that fight on all three cards by one round. I think there was a knockdown late in the fight there and um, was the difference in the fight for Estrada. And uh, in the fight Friday night, uh, Estrada got put down in the third round, knocked down by Quadras. Awesome fight, all action all night. Both guys tough as hell. Ne- get neither one giving up very much. And in the eleventh round, um, Quadras knocked down twice before the ref finally stopped it as Estrada put it on him and closed the show like a champ, setting up a potential rematch with uh, Chocolatito, who was also victorious. Um, but what'd you think of that Estrada Quadras fight? A lot of people talking about it as a potential candidate for fight of the year. First of all, you know I can be hard on people because I think there might be a reason to be. But I always think I earn the right to be because if it's the other side that I have to be a hard on myself or admit or allow myself to be looking at the other side of me, you know, uh, needing to hear something, I am. So I feel it gives me the right to to say something if I'm willing to hear something and have it said. So you get credit for this, not me, because I wasn't going to do this fight because we had a lot of fights and a lot of boxing and you, I was I was out Sunday visiting somebody in the hospital and um, I didn't quite feel like going home, to be honest, and watching more fight film because I didn't get a chance to see it live. But you told me that it was something worthwhile. And because of that, I did. I wanted to take the easy way out. I want to say we did enough. And it still would have been enough because we we do it with our heart. We do it with our, our soul behind it. And I think it would have been enough. But it wouldn't have been everything that it could have been. So you got me to look at it. I looked at it. As soon as I looked at it, yeah. Yeah, I said, geez, this Ken actually knows something once in a while. <laughs> Um, (laughs) everyone gets lucky once in a while uh, yeah I mean you know like they say uh, you know the uh, Mickey Duff used to say to me the great Mickey Duff the great late great great Mickey Duff people don't know enough about Mickey Duff one of the most brilliant people of all time in the game of boxing he used to run everything him and his partners in London for years for years before you had Mr. Hearn and his father before that and everybody else you know, that do a good job over there. Um, and Frankie Warren and everybody else. But, boy, that Mickey, he was the best. And, uh, you know, he was the first. Not the first ever, but uh, before those guys of today. And, you know, he um, he used to say, Teddy, even a, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while. <laughs> 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 You're not a blind squirrel by any means, Mr. Ryder. Not by any means, Mr. Ryder. You're, and if you are, you're my blind squirrel. So uh, let anybody say anything and we'll see what happens. But no, you were right, Ken. Uh, first of all, after I looked at it, I said, this is fight of the year. Because there's three of them up there. Cepeda and Baracek, uh Of course, Lopez... Even some people say it wasn't great. I thought it was great because of the suspense involved and the skill levels involved, Lopez and Lomachenko. You know, there wasn't great two-way action the first half of the fight, but 
for me, it was like watching a brilliant pitcher. You're not seeing hits and you're not seeing home runs, but you're seeing some brilliance about how the pitcher's keeping the bat out of the hands of the hitters and great hitters. Lomachenko's a great hitter. So I I thought that Lopez-Lomachenko fight, where some people argue that it, it wasn't exciting the first seven rounds, I thought it was exciting all the way through for the reasons I just said. There was always suspense of could he continue to keep the bat out of his hands? You know, what's going to happen next? So, and then, of course, Cepeda and Berichek. To me, that was Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Great art. Five rounds. They were down on the floor five times between themselves. Um, but it was it was a slugfest. It was a, I don't want to say, but it was a peer, it was a peer 26 brawl, whatever number they used to put in the old days when they would describe just a brawl, uh, a, you know, peer brawl. And, but listen, I take nothing away from them. But the skill levels with Lopez and Lomachenko were higher. And this fight, well, the skill levels were better. Uh, not as high as Lopez and Lomachenko at, at all. But I could appreciate where Quadras having lost the first time. He's in a rematch. You know, he, he comes into this fight. Uh, with Estrada, who a lot of people have on their pound-for-pound list, Ken, uh, as number 10 for pound-for-pound, you know, best fighters in the game right now. I don't, but, you know, this was like an, almost like a, oh, man, this was almost like an audition for his top, for his giving real reason and, and validation to the people that, put him on a pound-for-pound pound list because a lot of people haven't seen Estrada even though, you know, he's got so many fights. But and he's been a champion and he's fought so many good fighters. But a lot of people haven't seen him. So it was nice to be able to, again, get get a chance to see him. What I saw was a Mickey Ward-Gaddy fight, the first one. That's what I saw. Yeah. Ebbs and flows back and forth. Guys being hurt and recovering, incredibly recovering. Uh, I saw the counter-punching ability of Estrada. I think that's why people have him on the pound. The people that do have him, it was a chance for me. Let me see why the people have him on the pound for pound. That's how I was looking at it too. And the way he counter-punches with that left hook, little bit like Ryan Garcia, the young undefeated kid out there, but Ryan Garcia does it at a more impactful level. level. But he he's very, very efficient with that left hook counter that Estrada has, really takes a half a step back. You start to come in loose, uh, give a little space, maybe missing a right hand, and bang, he sneaks in that counter left hook. He also threw a beautiful counter right hand where... It wasn't so much a counter as it was a time punch where he was timing inside the wider punches of Quadras. He was throwing right hands and timing them inside the the wide shots. Quadras was not as good technically, not as advanced, uh, but oh my goodness. Uh, you know, when he was online getting out hearts from God... Uh, he must ask for an extra serving. <laughs> he, he, he must have said, can I have some more, uh, please? Uh, both of them. 
both of them. But he he's a little fat with his punches. That might be an understatement sometimes. And but he's not fat with his relentless attitude to come forward and get you. There was it was like it was like watching a tropical storm where the rain is hard and then there's spots where it's harder. <laughs> but it's always raining. It's raining, Ken, and I know why you told me to watch it. It's raining, and then all of a sudden, okay, my goodness, uh, uh, you can't get much more. And then all of a sudden, it rains harder. And then you say, well, it can't rain. Harder. Then it rains harder. Uh, there, was, there were just so many spurts. Uh, quattros, both of them, but Quattros fought in those kind of hellacious spurts where he'd be slowing down where maybe for someone else is slowing down but you know and then all of a sudden he'd speed up again meanwhile his slowing down was probably a hundred punches around where his speeding up was about four thousand around so <laughs> you get the picture guys if you didn't watch it where he fought in spurts but all his little spurts were were like a whole fight for somebody else when it came to the punch numbers and that's another thing i i didn't i have no idea what the punch numbers are uh you know i don't usually put a lot of validity in them the human beings trying to count punches that people are throwing you know within split seconds that's not too uh i wouldn't count on those numbers all the time but you know that they threw a lot <laughs> they threw a lot they threw a lot. And if you were doing punch numbers, you'd have to ice your fingers. You know, because they'd be you'd be crippled. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't be able to you you wouldn't be able to pick up your grandchildren, which I'm gonna do a little while later. Um your fingers would be numb. So you had that kind of that's the kind of fight it was. But throughout the fight, except for the third round where you said Quadros dropped Estrada, except for that, for the most part Back and forth, ebbs and flows. Every time you thought Estrada was getting control, all of a sudden Quattro's would say, no, 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 no. I still got something to say over here. And he would come back. But at the end, I thought Estrada was in control from that third round on. He was in control. He was the guy landing the more effective, efficient, cleaner, telling punches uh, throughout the night. He was in control. It's just that he had a a monster of a guy in front of him who would never let him never let him get out of the building <laughs> and and just say you know it's mine he he drag him back in the building I let's go some it's kind of like fighting that guy and you're walking away from him and you think it's over and then all of a sudden he grabs you by the shoulder come on <laughs> bang and he punches you in the mouth <laughs> and we're not done we're not done we're not done till i say we're done and that's that's what the fight was um it was uh, a tremendous fight. I, I'm ready to put it, after I first saw it, I always try to look at things the first time and then a second and third time in my mind to evaluate a little deeper. At first, I said, geez, Ken is right. I think this is fight of the year out of the ones I just said. I think this is fight of the year. But then I said, wait a minute. Maybe it still leaves a little opening for... Lomachenko, and people are going to argue with me for the reason I said. They're going to say the first part wasn't competitive. But for Lomachenko-Lopez, because for the most part, as great as it was, there was one guy winning the fight 
pretty much throughout the fight and always winning the fight. And that was Estrada. As much as he got arguments from the other side and attacked from the other side and tested from the other side and brought back from the other side. But it was him that, because of his better sophistication technically, was always a little bit ahead in charge a little bit. So you could make the argument in the Lopez Lomachenko fight coming down the stretch you could make an argument except if you made it with those judges if you made it with those judges forget it you're out of business because <laughs> uh, they they had their minds made up who was going to win I guess but for me you could make an argument down the stretch that the guy who was in charge wasn't in charge no more that was Lopez and somebody, a new sheriff was in town, that was Lomachenko, and he was threatening to take charge. And it, it went down a stretch like that uh, until, you know, until Lopez showed his great championship heart in the last round and, and said, no, I'm going to finish like a champion. And he did. So uh, it, it's right up there. It's right up there. It could be fight of the year. It needs consideration, uh, Ken, uh, for fight of the year. And... um just want to see I think I think I covered what I wanted to uh, of course the left hook I talked about the great timing of Estrada's right hand and side punches and his left hook counter to the chin but his left hook to the liver Ken his left hook to the body probably probably captured the fight in the end it probably captured the fight in the end uh, when he stopped him in 11th with those vicious body shots. I mean, Estrada did a great job going to the, the left hook to the body and, you know, taking something out of a guy that it's hard to take anything out of in quadros. Uh, and and the body shots were the the winning formula or the, the final part of the puzzle, if you will, to get that stoppage at the end. Yeah. Awesome win for Estrada. Should be interesting to see where he goes from there. Um with that being said, I think that covers most of the action from last weekend. But before we go, I want to talk about two of the upcoming fights next weekend, um, starting with Alexander. Oh, I want to Us say one other thing. Sorry, go ahead. I think it's important. And again, it's why I make notes, because it's hard to remember everything. And I think it's worth saying. And it's from a humanity standpoint. It's, from, it's just from a position of responsibility as people. And somebody in this business, like many, but from my point, my position, I know the dangers. I think we all do, but I know maybe a little more being in the business my whole life than the average guy, the dangers of this business. And the thrills that these great warriors give us and how we appreciate it. But we also have to appreciate what it takes out of them. And I've always said, you've heard me, over the 24, 25 years at ESPN, I would say, you know, a fighter leaves the ring with less of himself than he enters it. Uh, I've been saying that for 25 years. And I want to just use this moment. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast and we appreciate it. And a lot of people that are in the, the fans, we appreciate the most. And then, of course, these people that make a living in the sport, the matchmakers, the the producers on TV, directors, uh, commentators, 
the you know the managers promoters uh there's there's people from the organizations the alphabet or which we tear the crap out of when we think they need to be torn the crap out of but they all they all they all listen the doctors i hear from people from doctors they that are ringside they listen they they watch we appreciate all you and i want to say this because i know the audience to be what it is that they and the people that will hear this and i'm i'm saying it to them to all of them whether it's the manager who's got a fighter or it's the doctor who's got to make a decision on whether or not a fighter when he should fight again if he should fight again what test he should have i just want to say that as great as this fight was and Estrada kept his title, fighting and behaving like a champ, and Quadras fought and behaved like a champion too. But Quadras especially, he shouldn't fight anytime soon. I'm the last one in the world want to keep anybody from making a living, but I'm the last one in the world also that wants to see a fighter hurt. And when you take that kind of punishment, it's worse than getting knocked out clean in, in like two, three, four, five, six, seven rounds. You get knocked out, boom. It's over, right? Right, Ken? Yep. But in but in this case, Ken, when it's the word accumulation. It's a dangerous word in my business. And the accumulation of punches, that's where the that's where the damage comes. Me and Max Kellerman, when we were together on Friday night fights, we would talk about this a lot. And to the credit of Max, he would he would back it up. He would say, yeah. And he would, you know, we would both open our mouths about it when there was a time to open our mouths about it. And I'm opening my mouth again about it right now. There was a great accumulation of punches taken in that fight by both, but especially by Quadras, clean punches, that if he got knocked out earlier, it would have been easier and less impact on his body and his brain but he didn't because of his great heart and he took those punches all night i don't first of all the tests the cat scans mris they have to be done and hopefully they will be done before he can fight again in most states it's a you know it's a law it's a it's a rule but some states it's not but no matter what state, we're talking about the state of humanity. We're talking about the state of human beings. We're talking about the state that's bigger than any of the states that are you know, represented by our flag. We're talking about the state of health, the state of common sense. He has to be tested properly, number one. But number two, he, no matter what the tests show or don't show, he should not be allowed to fight again he should, for a certain period of time. He should be given that time for his brain, for his body to rest without getting hit. Whether it's six months, and I'm going to say it should be at least six months, maybe more like eight or nine, to be quite frank. I just don't think people will always abide by it. But I know you got to make a living. But I also know you got to stay alive to make a living. <laughs> Good point. I know that too. 
So I don't want to hear no arguments. I think that I've seen fighters perish firsthand. Uh, and again, it's a dangerous sport, inherently dangerous. We know that. They know it when they sign up. We all do. But you can take away some of that danger. You can minimize some of that danger by being smart, by being proactive, by being preventive medicine, so to speak. And this is one of those cases where make sure he gets the test, please. Please, the people with him that are out there. And again, the, the people that are in charge of these commissions before he fights in your commission. The doctors, the promoters, before he fights on your show. Make sure, I'm trying not to take anything away from him. I'm really trying not to take anything away from him. Anything. Especially his life. So please, make sure that he gets the test. And then even, like I said, no matter what they do or don't show, make sure he gets a rest. Don't put him on a card for six, seven, eight months. Let him get that rest. Keep him out of the gym. Don't let him get hit in sparring for at least five, six, seven months. Don't. He's deserved that care. He's earned it. Give it to him. I had to say that. I just thought it was important. Very good. No, I agree. Um, let's talk about some of the upcoming action. Next week, we've got um, Alexander Usyk against Derek Warchesora. Um Looking forward to this one. I think, um, well, I'm curious to hear what you think, first of all. Well, I mean, Chisora, he's 36. He's going to be 37 years old in December, so he's closer to 37 than 36. Uh, Yusik is 33, but there's, it's a, even though it's four, it's three, four year difference, it's more than that. Uh, Yusik doesn't have a lot of miles on his odometer. Chisora does. He's got more fights. He's 32 and 9, 23 knockouts. Um, and he's been knocked out himself, Chisora, three times. Uh, Usyk, of course, 17 and 0, 13 knockouts. Gold medalist. Uh, gold medalist from the Olympics representing Ukraine. In the same camp as Lomachenko and Volsik. Uh, Usyk is Evander Holyfield. Don't go crazy. But Evander Holyfield was the greatest cruiserweight champ of all time. Usyk is right there with him. Right there with him. The greatest cruiserweight champs of all time. He, he unified like Holyfield, went through the whole division, unified all the titles. Then he went on to test the heavyweight waters, Holyfield did. And he, and he did you know, what some people didn't think a smaller guy could do. And he, he won the heavyweight titles. Um, and beat, of course, bigger giants. Uh, he, he reminded people of that biblical story of the, you know, David and Goliath. I mean, what Holyfield did uh, throughout his career uh, in the heavyweight after the cruiserweight title. Usyk is going to try to do the same thing and follow in his path. He's already following his path by unifying all the cruiserweight titles, being thought of as one, for me, as one of the greatest cruiserweights, if not the greatest, the second greatest behind Holyfield, I guess, of, of all time. 
And Holyfield, he would have. He's a gold medalist. You said Holyfield would have been a gold medalist, except he got robbed by that referee when he he threw a punch that was already being thrown before the bell. It landed a split second after the bell. He knocked out his opponent, uh, Barry, right from uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, he, he knocks him out, and then he gets taken disqualified from the Olympics, and uh, he should have had a gold medal. So he's very from similar to Usyk in a lot of ways. I think Usyk can do in a lot of ways very similar to what, beyond what he's already done in the career of Holyfield. He can go and win the heavyweight title. I think he, I think I put my money on him uh, because he's smart, obviously talented and gifted, and he's got legs. So when he goes in there with the bigger guys, he's got good legs. He can use that to counter the guys being bigger. And, and more physical. And he's a strong guy. He's got that other ability that I always recognize in Holyfield uh, that, that doesn't show up on a piece of paper as a measurable. The ability to win. He knows how to win. Holyfield knew how to win. And, you know, Yusick knows how to win. Now... He's being brought up like Holyfield, you know, gradually in heavyweights. You know, he's not just being thrown in the deep end. You know, the the, he, the first one, he was given Chaz Witherspoon. Chaz Witherspoon was kind of taken out of mothballs. You know, he he had, it almost seemed like he was retired. He wasn't fighting any real competition uh, for, you know, for a while. And he had lost at the top Chaz, good guy. Nice guy, heavyweight, but he had lost when he fought, when he stepped into the tougher waters, the deeper waters. He had lost, and he was put there as an opponent, obviously, for Usyk to test the waters with. And, you know, Usyk stopped Chaz. Chisora is better than Chaz. It's the next progression. It's the next step. But having said that, Chisora doesn't win at the top level. He's fought at what I consider the next level nine times and lost all nine times. So he can be competitive sometimes, but he loses at that next level. I believe Yusik is that next level. I could be wrong, but I believe he is that next level. And that means that Chisora doesn't win at that level. Nine times he's been Before at that you level. Tell me- before you tell me what, what you think happens in this one, let me give a quick shout-out to MyBookie, today's sponsor, MyBookie. Check them out at MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S, for 100% credit on your first deposit, up to $1,000. With that said, Teddy, Usyk is a huge favorite, minus 750, Chisora at plus 450. Are you willing to lay 750 to make 100 bucks on Usyk in this fight. I never like to lay those kind of odds, but I would. I would if I uh, had that extra money like you do, you know, <laughs> sitting around in, uh, in, a, in a vault in, inside, your, inside your house, you know, one of your vaults. Uh, you have more than one. Um, but <laughs> one of your vaults that, you know, is hidden behind um, those layers of steel wall that you have. <laughs> I, I would. I, I would, but... couple couple I, dimes I would, on Usyk. Well, I would back it up this way for the people out there. I would say that... I, I would say that Usyk 
I like him to either win a unanimous, obviously once unanimous decision or stop Chisora in the late rounds. Uh, by way. stoppage, by stoppage, you can get him at almost even money. Yeah, I mean, but almost even money seems like pretty good value there. I agree. I listen. Chisora's the kind of guy that's getting older while we talk. You know, he he's getting older as we talk. Each time he gets in the ring. He got gets a little old. He he just got knocked out in the late rounds against Dillian White four fights ago. I'm not even looking at my notes, but I I I trust my memory. Four fights ago, he got knocked out by Dillian White, who just got knocked out by a 41 year old Pavetkin, my former fighter, you know, who now has the interim title. And Chisora to again to get a look or a feel for the goods like how good is he 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 already for me um Yusik I'm talking about I'm sorry Yusik to get a feel for how good he is he's already beaten as a cruiserweight he beat Michael Hunter who was an Olympian for the United States but Hunter moved up just like Yusik he moved up to heavyweight. And Hunter just fought a draw with Povetkin, who, as I said, just knocked out Dean White, who was the number one contender. Uh, so I, that's saying something if, for you guys out there that are going to call my bookie. It's giving you reference. It's giving you something to reference off, to to look at. Um, where music for me, has already shown that he's a viable candidate to be able to have a shot to win the heavyweight title because by beating that level of a guy uh, in Hunter, well, he already beat a guy who's a top-rated heavyweight because, like I said, he just fought a draw with with Povetkin, who's the interim champion right now, who just knocked out Dillian White. So he, Yusuk has already shown you that he belongs and can win at that level of heavyweight. I know Hunter's not as big as the other guys, but still, he's a capable guy, capable guy, fast hands, puts punches together. And like I said, he just fought a draw with the guy who happens to be an interim champ. So, I, like I said, Shizora has never won at this next level. What Shizora is, he's much more physical and stronger than a Witherspoon. He's a good puncher, but he's slow, He's predictable. He's right in front of you. And his punches, you know, can be a little wide. So it gives a lot of opportunity for Usyk to punch inside the punches, stay in the pocket, uh, inside the eye of the storm, or box on the outside. Get him to reach, look to counter, keep him off balance by using his legs, give him angles. So, again, Chisora, good, strong guy, aggressive Plenty of heart. He's going to come. He's getting older and getting older and getting older. Uh, I think that Usyk is going to, you know, he's going to be in there with a bigger test, but it was supposed to be a progressive test, supposed to be a little more. And he'll handle it. He'll handle that test. Uh, I, I just looked at my notes. It's eight times not nine times, that Shusora has stepped up uh, to that next level and lost. So 
I was off by one. It was eight times. And as I said, with all these fights at 37, he's going to be 37 in December. His miles, there's a lot of miles on his odometer. Uh, I like Chisora. I to you know to come forward, uh, try to put some heat on him. But again, I like Yusick uh, to control this fight. I would agree with you. Next one, same night, we've got Gervonta Davis, Leo Santa Cruz in a Showtime pay-per-view match. Yours for only $75. Davis, again, a huge favorite at minus 650. I, I got to say, before I turn it over to you, 75 bucks to see Tank Davis, and I know that Floyd and Leonard Ellaby will uh, you know, disagree with me, but I just don't see the pay-per-view appeal with Tank Davis, not with the guys he's been fighting. If you tell me he's going to fight uh, Lomachenko, uh, Ryan Garcia, I mean, no no disrespect to Leo Santa Cruz. I just don't see him as the type of draw as those other guys in the division. But 75 bucks is rich. What do you think? Hey, Ken, listen, I'm going to be your attorney for a minute. Uh, God bless me. Uh, God help me. I'm gonna be your attorney. I'm I'm gonna need a big retainer, but you're my friend, so I'm not gonna ask for a retainer because you're my friend. You're my friend on the show, and you're with me because of the person you are. So I'm gonna go to your defense and say you're not just saying words, throwing them out of your mouth, without a good damn reason. I'm gonna use this exhibit A to what you're saying. Go back to, go back to Al Heyman's show with uh, the Charlo brothers when they were charging seventy five dollars, right? Seventy five dollars uh, for that pay per view. And what did we say on our show? It wasn't a pay per view show. You know, yeah. it was a decent show, decent show, but it wasn't a pay per view show, right? Well, that's our opinion. That doesn't mean anything except it's our opinion. Guess when it starts to mean something? When the numbers come out, when the people have voted, when the people have gone and either paid for or not paid for the show, that's when it matters. <laughs> and guess what that show did? If my memory serves me correctly, it did less than 70,000 buys, the Charlo Brothers, at 75 bucks. It did less than 70,000 buys. Am I correct? I think that's the number that's been reported. It's always hard to tell, but that's if, if they Matter did of fact, 70, I think 000. it was 60. I think it was like 67, 68, 000, whatever. If 70, they did, 000. if they did, if they did 70,000 buys at 75 bucks each, that means the total pay-per-view was roughly 5.25 million. Yeah. They lost money. <laughs> exactly. Did I say that fast enough? They <laughs> yep. lost money. They lost money. And you know what? To to your, I'm coming to your defense. I'm just backing up what you're saying. That's all. That we could be wrong, but Cruz and Javante Davis on pay per view has a good chance to do just as good or just as bad as the Charlo Brothers show, where it's not a success financially. Maybe it will as a good fight. I like the fight. It's a decent fight, but as a headliner for a main, you know, as for a pay per view, 
to bring in, you know, get people to go in their pockets when times are tough, tougher than ever now with the virus, people being out of work. I, I don't, I don't see it as a smart uh, move to put that pay per view. I don't. And that's listen to the credit of the guys over at ESPN. They put, of course, they have deeper pockets over there. You got Disney behind you, but they went. And they put Loma, which everyone wanted to see, you know. They put Loma and Lopez on free TV, you know, close as you could get to free ESPN. You know, most people have that in their packages. But they were smart to do that. They were smart to do that for the future, you know, because times are tough now. Who knows what they would have done on pay-per-view. They would have done better than the Charlo brothers. I can guarantee you that. And probably better than Santa Cruz and Davis, but they look. They have options that some of these, you know, other people have. But again, they have the pockets of ESPN behind them. But they were smart to do that because they wanted to bring the, they want to give some to the fan base that hasn't gotten anything since the pandemic, and they want to give some to them to hope that it it pays dividends in the future, that it brings the people back. Like I said before that fight, it was like putting a, that that searchlight up in the air, you know, where they used to do that when a carnival came to town or a new restaurant opened up, right? And you see that you see that searchlight. If your kids said saw it, what they do? What would they do, Ken? They'd say, "Dad, we gotta we gotta see what that is. We gotta yep. go over there, Dad. We gotta go over there." You know, it got everyone's attention, and that's what that's what the Lomo Lopez fight was to bring everyone back. To bring everybody back. So, again, I agree with you 100%. As far as the fight, you got to love, listen, if you love power, you love Tank Davis, Javante Davis. I mean, he's a, he's a good puncher, but he didn't look good in his last fight. I'm, again, for my bookie people out there that want to go, I'm trying to do the best I can to give you everything that needs to be given to you for ammo, so to speak, to go and do what you got to do. Um, well, he didn't look good against Gamboa. Gamboa was a gold medalist from Cuba, a world champion at a light, a smaller weight. Uh, I think he won his first. I think he won it at featherweight. But um, Davis didn't look good in that fight. He dropped him. He stopped him in the twelfth. But he was fighting a guy who had an injured leg. Uh, you know, Gamboa hurt his leg. And, and quite frankly, I think Gamboa was a shot fighter. I yeah. think he was a great talent, great speed, but I think it's he's old. I think he's he, it's not there no more. He's he's uh, shop worn, and and he didn't have the greatest chin. He's been on the floor a lot of times, great heart, but been on the floor with everybody. And Davis didn't stop him to the twelfth. So, you know, who knows what's behind that? Maybe Davis had a bad night. Maybe he had trouble making weight. Maybe he was taking him for granted. No excuses, but maybe that was it. Uh, it didn't. It didn't help his stock. But against Santa Cruz, who doesn't like Santa Cruz? Ken, yep. You gotta like Santa Cruz. He acts like a champion in the ring. He's been a champion all these years. He acts like a champion outside the ring, in and out of the ring. He does himself nothing but honor. The way he behaves as a fighter, as a person, as a human being. He's a literal, literal punching machine. <laughs> That's I mean, for sure. Really. I mean, he, he makes CompuBox guys, guys that do the punch number guys, he makes them quit. <laughs> he makes them submit. <laughs> you know, like Lomachenko used to make guys quit. You know, he, he makes them cry. Oh, my hands, I quit. 
I can't punch. <laughs> no, I can't push. I can't push those things no more. I quit. I quit. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't stop. He starts throwing punches during the national anthem, and he don't stop. <laughs> he don't stop. And he's a tall, long guy for that weight, but he don't really always use it. He just goes and gets you, and he throws punches. He's got a lot of character, a lot of heart. Uh, he makes himself proud, and the people around him proud as a champion all the time, in and out of the ring, as I said. Uh, but lately, he's been using his height and reach a little more. He's getting older. You know, he, he's, 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 getting, he's getting older now. And he has some miles on his odometer. You know, he does. He's got his miles. He's got some miles on his odometer. He's 32 years old. Davis is only 25 years old. And um, Cruz has been in 39 fights, all action fights. That's all he knows how to bring. Punches. Not a big puncher, but he, he, he's relentless. He doesn't, he doesn't stop. And he's fighting a guy who's a legitimate puncher and knows how to fight in, in Javante Davis. And um, all for what he looked like against Gamboa, Davis might have a tough time. Yeah. Might have a tough time. But mm -hmm. uh, the advantages Davis has besides the youth and less miles on his odometer and he's the bigger puncher, he's the bigger guy. He's been a junior lightweight his whole career. He's going to lightweight now. Uh, Cruz started off as a bantamweight yeah. and moved up to featherweight. His whole career, Ken, has been bantamweight and featherweight Cruz. He, mm -hmm. He's stepping up the same way Lomachenko stepped up. And a lot of people question, you know, will that be a factor against the bigger Lopez and the younger Lopez? Very similar here. Younger Davis, bigger Davis. Younger Lopez, bigger Lopez. Will it be a difference? Yeah, I think it will. I think it will show. It did show in the Loma fight. It definitely did mm -hmm. in the Lomachenko fight. I think it's going to show in this fight. I think at the, I think at the end of the day, uh, Davis might be too young and big. And, you know, Cruz is a guy that uh, you can you can hit him. You can find him. Uh, Santa Cruz, he's in front of you. Uh, I think that for my bookie out there, for the people waiting to hear me drop it, I would say that I would say the bigger, younger Javante Davis winds up winning this fight. Uh, either by late stoppage or decision, but he hurts towards getting that decision. I think he almost has to hurt Cruz to get that decision because Cruz will look to outpunch him, outwork him. So to kind of work against that factor, I think Davis has to slow him down. And to slow him down, he's got to hurt him. So at the end of the day, I probably... I love Cruz. I love what he represents. I love what he does for the sport. He's an ambassador for a sport that needs an ambassador, quite frankly. But at the end of the day, I would, if I was uh, going into your vault and borrowing a couple bucks to call up my bookie, I would probably put it on uh, on Davis. There you have it. Usyk and Davis for your uh, daily double parlay. Um, one quick thing before we uh, before we sign off here, I just want to remind fans: if you'd like to receive a personalized message from video from uh, from Teddy, check it out at uh, cameo.com. Search Teddy Atlas. Teddy will record a personalized message for you, video message, uh, cameo. Um, 
one other thing that we didn't discuss, but we've got the monster uh, Noya Inoue is in action as well against Jason Maroney on um, on the zone, I believe. Well, Inoue is one of my favorites. I, what do I have him in my pound for pound list? I don't have my pound for pound list in front of me, but I believe he's like number four. So uh, you have number. I think you have him at three. Yeah. So all right, number three, even better. Even better. I mean, I, look, I, obviously I love the fact that he's got power in either hand, but I, I love everything about him. His seriousness, his, you know, always being serious, always ready, always prepared. Uh, I know you, that's supposed to be taken for granted, but it shouldn't be taken for granted in anything in life. Um, when you're a professional, yeah, you're supposed to be ready. You're supposed to be prepared. But it doesn't happen all the time. But the ones that... Uh, what they're supposed to be, it happens with. Uh, that's why we're talking about them. But in a way, he's one of my favorites because he's always balanced. He's never out of position to throw a punch. Always in position. Always ready to deliver with power. And uh, as we say sometimes, he knows how to win. I mean, he won a title very young, uh, very, very early with only a few fights. And then he's gone on to win titles at what? What is it? Three different weight classes now? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I so. Know, uh, I know it's at least two. Um, well, this one's going to be for IBF WBA uh, bantamweight against um, Jason Maloney. Um, uh, to add to the um, pay-per-view um, questions, it's on ESPN Plus, that uh, that Inoue fight. So you've got that on ESPN Plus. You've got Usyk Chisora on the zone, and then you've got a $75 pay-per-view card for um, Davis and um, Santa Cruz. I, I Like I said, I, I, I don't understand that pay-per-view or the price tag, but I guess we'll see how they do. Yeah, we'll see, and... Don't call Ken for a loan, please. I know there's someone out there gonna. Uh, I'm sorry, Ken. I know somebody out there gonna gonna watch this show. They're gonna say they they liked it. They like the info. They like the insight. I hope they say. Uh, I hope they do. And then they're gonna say, I'm "Gonna call hit up Ken for a loan." That guy's got th he's got three volts in his house. Well, if if we could ask the fans for one favor, it would be to leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel, share the links. We appreciate all the love and support. Teddy, I'm good unless you got anything else. No, I just want to say give my best to your family. I appreciate you. Uh, care about you. Appreciate Rob. Care about him. And appreciate Sam Rivera, who's sitting in my home here in our office, helping us with these, putting out this product as good as possible. And uh, thank you, every one of you. And thank you All to the fans. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being with us. We've got some more stuff, uh, some more exciting stuff happening soon. So stay tuned. Take care.